Hello, welcome to FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Ferreira. Today on the show, we have Dennis Gatta, Senior Vice President and Industry Head for Financial Services for Infosys. And I brought him on the show today to talk about Infosys and how they basically have helped large financial institutions and financial institutions of all size in basically navigating today's waters. And with that, here's my interview with Dennis. Dennis, pleasure to meet you. Jason, good to be here. So thank you for taking the time. And uh, Dennis Gatta, Senior Vice President and Industry Head for Financial Services for Infosys. Tell us about Infosys. So Infosys, uh, Jason, is a global digital services company. We work with our clients in providing end-to-end services right from technology to business operations to consulting and from helping them in their digital transformation journeys, from helping them in running the existing business and technology operations, as well as in really you know, pivoting to the future of innovation and new solutions, new technologies that they can build uh, for their clients. So we are global in size, uh, you know, about 250,000 people, more than $13 billion uh, in revenue, and uh, you know, very, very large presence in the financial services sector as well. Excellent. So tell me about your history and how you got into this role, how long you've been dealing with financial services in particular. So I've been with Infosys for about uh, 16 years, uh, you know, spent time across the globe, started in Asia, then worked uh, for about uh, 10 years uh, in the Netherlands and Europe, and then last uh, six years uh, in the U.S. And, you know, our financial services business has been growing uh, significantly over the years, right? So as of today, we actually, uh, the work that we do supports about a billion end clients, consumers of financial services. Uh, We process more than a trillion dollars of uh, mortgage book volumes across the globe and almost about 50% of the global payments, right? So that's the impact of the work we do uh, across our client base in financial services. And, you know, that's been really exciting for me uh, to be part of a practice that has such a uh, uh, far-reaching impact and and platform uh, for transformation. Those are some big numbers. (laughs) I mean, uh, you're talking about a billion people. You're talking about one in every seven people in the world and half of payment processing. My God, like that, that number is just enormous. Um, well, okay. Well, I'm definitely talking to the right guy if we're going to have a conversation about scale. So <laughs> let's, let's see if we get there. So in particular, I want to talk about, let's, let's start off with when companies come to Infosys for support, what is it they're typically looking for and how do you help them navigate their digital needs? Yeah, so I think we work with companies in different parts of the value chain, right? So many companies come to us to help them manage their existing technology estate, technology applications, infrastructure, and we provide that as a managed services to them. We work with clients on managing the business operations as well, whether it's you know their mortgage origination or servicing or lending processes, the back office processes in banking, asset management, et cetera. So that's one part, right? Really helping them run their technology and operations and drive efficiency in that. The other part of our business, which is actually the fastest growing business for us, is around really helping them transform the business, right? And that could be around designing new customer experiences, bringing in transformation and the data and analytics layer, driving more uh, automation and AI in a lot of the business processes, you know, cloud and API from a modernization perspective of their current uh, technology landscape. So that's really the transformation business, the digital business, as we say, and that's going very fast, right? More than half of our revenues now are from our digital services. And then the top of the spear is, you know, our consulting business where we help them really 
focus on large scale business outcomes right like setting up a completely new digital bank or transforming their mortgage business end to end or transforming their retirement services business end to end and so on so we operate in all those uh, you know three layers are uh, driving efficiency in running the business and technology operations you know digital transformation of their end to end business processes and finally you know helping them grow the business in new areas to consulting services excellent so from that standpoint the consulting being the tip of the spear you guys have a you know full stack solution well not full stack solution but you know you know you get what i mean you can go in, tell them what they need to do and help implement uh, just like a good consultant can. But can you speak to what the larger trends or the larger needs have been, I'll say in the last couple of years that these companies have largely been concerned with? Yeah. So I think, you know, uh, and I'll talk about the last uh, 12 months, right, especially because uh, many Mm. of our clients in financial services has been on the digital transformation journey or the highway, as you may call it. But I think the last uh, 12 months uh, post-COVID, has seen a significant acceleration of uh, that journey right and it has we can call it a trigger a pivot or whatever else but i think it has really been a big force of uh, our transformation and if you look at it it was result of a multiple factors i think one is the expectations of the end clients uh, in terms of their banking experience has changed significantly right we are now all used to you know ordering groceries online food online not just shopping online spending uh, you know all our time doing most of our day to day lifestyle activities in a digital way and hence uh, there is an enhanced expectation that banking and financial services not just the traditional banking but wealth management advice all of that should be much more uh, digital and that has you know really forced financial services firms uh, to become even more digital than that than they already were I think the other thing has been some specific interventions uh, from the government right and the governments across the world have played an important role in helping people through the pandemic uh, for example in the US uh, there was a cares act and the paycheck protection program the ppp program that was launched uh, as a part of that and that has really forced banks to innovate at a scale and at a pace that had, they had never seen before within weeks they had to you know set up systems to accept new loan applications uh, to do the underwriting disperse the loans work with the sba uh, to get the approvals and so on and to give you an order of magnitude jason there were some banks that we worked with where they had to process more loans in a period of four uh, four weeks than they had almost done in the last 15 to 20 years right so that's the <laughs> order of magnitude that we were talking we are talking about and that was not possible unless there was a new technology interventions that were brought in whether it was automation of the loan application process or using ai for underwriting using uh, machine learning for collections and actually extracting information from the document so that things could be uh, updated at a, a much faster pace and various other interventions and you know we helped many banks uh, go through this journey of the ppp uh, loan application uh, the, uh, the the loan program and you know deliver significant uh, value right so that has been again a very rapid force of change uh then in other aspects of lending right mortgage volumes are uh, at an all time high so again banks have had to reimagine how to 
accept uh, uh, mortgage applications, how to expedite the underwriting process, how to manage the collections. And in all of this, uh, technology has played a very important role and really bringing uh, you know, digitization of the entire process has been very critical. And we've been you know, helping uh, banks and financial services firms in, in that space. Yeah. So, I mean, it's uh, never let a good crisis go to waste, right? Like these, you know, a lot of the stuff that was slowly transforming, they finally got a gun to their head and had to move on it, unfortunately, just like the rest of the world. Um, I was going to that, right? Uh, so some of our clients have said that, you know, they have done in last one year what typically would them take them a, a decade, right? And it's, it's absolutely true. They've been forced to drive change at such a rapid pace, the decision-making has been so much quicker and the adoption of new technology, whether it's you know cloud or automation, has been uh, so rampant that uh, if it was not for this crisis, it would have been, uh, you know, maybe we would have got there in 2030. So it almost, we are in 2021, but it almost feels like we are in 2030 uh, with the, the amount of change that has happened in the last one year. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, there's an old saying about wars accelerating the pace of technological development. Well, this is a different type of war, right? and that's what happened. I mean, it's it's interesting. I I really do. I mean, I think we're through the looking glass on a lot of stuff, specifically around the concept of we're not going back on a lot of these things. Like the digitization has been done; it was going to happen eventually. They were saying, yeah, yeah, it'll, it'll it's going to happen, but. They were forced to basically make tomorrow happen today, which is great. What I really wonder is about like the decision-making mechanisms, how those are going to adapt. Are they going to go back to the slower methodical pace, which I think is a cultural issue, versus the, oh, oops, scramble, and let's get this taken care of. I, I think that one's probably, culture is not going to change as much as the technology will. So it'll be interesting to see how they take the lessons from this rapid period of adoption and maybe apply them into the future, but we'll see. Yeah, you're absolutely right, right? I think uh, what has also happened is, you know, business and technology has really come much closer together, right? If you look at the boardroom discussion these days in financial services firms, uh, it's much more about, you know, what is the next wave of digital transformation? How can you change customer experience? How can you leverage more of cloud and, you know, AI automation capabilities? So the level of discussions, the topics of discussions have completely changed uh, in the uh, boardrooms and amongst the senior executives in the business of banking, not just on the technology side. And I don't think there is any uh, going back. In fact, uh, you know, for many of the banks where we've seen the PPP program uh, drove so much of change that business is now used to this new way of working, right? How can you deliver incremental capabilities in, in that way of you know, working in a closed group, almost like a flash mob where all the people come together, the right capabilities, the right experience levels, uh, you know, you're combining all of that to deliver uh, incremental and transformational capabilities at a much faster pace. And I think that's only going to get better with passage of time. Well, we'll see. I mean, it's um, it's definitely a change in, you know, again, uh, it's almost a like corporate culture, but Man, it's, uh, it's definitely been a baptism by fire for these people. I can't imagine the scale of the issues that were being dealt with. When you start to think about just how, I mean, first off, at least there was some sort of digital foundational base to, to a lot of this stuff. But when I start to think about like something as simple as, not simple, but KYC AML requirements, oh my God, where did you guys even start with this stuff? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right. And the thing is that uh, today with all the advancement in technology that has happened, the onboarding of new clients uh, still tends to be the most uh, complex process. 
and it's also driven by regulations right so let me talk about how because you know in my role also uh, the advantage is to get a global perspective in uh, countries uh, in asia uh, especially india and some of the other countries because of the advancement in technology and the new infrastructure that has been created by the government some of the onboarding processes are absolutely simplified right you can open a new bank account uh, in india for example in 60 seconds the kyc can be done through your biometrics on your phone where there is a central database uh, aadhaar as it's called and 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 several other mechanisms to verify uh, your identity but you know even today uh, in in the us for example uh, that process is is still you know takes uh, uh, much longer there were manual interventions required in some cases to submit documents and so on and i think that's the change that uh, we expect to see of some of the innovation and transformation that's happening in asia uh, to also get replicated uh, in the us and other uh, uh, you know uh, developed countries yeah that is that's truly the irony of a lot of these technologies is that countries that are still quote unquote developing tend to have newer flashier better infrastructure that i'm sure help them adapt to the technological changes of what was happening currently but i mean it must have been also been a major wake up call for the need for a lot of these traditional line developed market carriers to developed market providers to basically realize that hey okay <laughs> this this legacy is is costing us in more ways than we can count now and and when i we had our feet put to the fire oh boy did it hurt us yeah and you know i mean payments still takes 2 to 3 days to do a payment uh, from one bank account to the other and i was surprised i had this personal experience i was trying to uh, transfer some funds to one of the other banks uh, that i work with and they said that you know i cannot transfer digitally uh, more than $5000 it's my own bank account and i am transferring funds from one account to the other but there are restrictions uh, of and, and limits i think some of those challenges have been solved forever in some other markets in the world and uh, you know yeah. it's a matter of time that you know those uh, changes uh, will get implemented which means you know there's a huge opportunity right for firms like us for fintechs and what i see jason uh, you know in um, a big country like us is that you know there are banks that are innovating at a much faster pace than ever before now but there are also fintech firms right that are bringing in these new technologies in fact uh, talking about ppp uh, you know there has been a lot of lending fintechs that made use of that opportunity and really expanded their loan books and and one of them for example cabbage used the cloud used uh, you know native capabilities of amazon and they did almost uh, you know 80 to 85% of the loan processing in an automated way and what typically would take days or sometimes hours to get an approval they reduced it to a few minutes right so that's what we've seen in terms of applying technology by fintech firms uh, to uh, expedite some of the loan processing onboarding kind of processes and now the larger banks are also going to replicate that right either by partnering with fintechs or by trying to build uh, uh, similar uh, technology solutions uh, themselves in fact we have uh, done a partnership uh, with a firm called uh, finlocker it's a very interesting uh, fintech company they you know maintain digital locker uh, for you know all the documents that are needed uh, for you know a new mortgage application and uh, once uh, you know they collect uh, uh, all the required information they can provide it to any mortgage originator or any bank or financial services firm that an end consumer is dealing with so more and more of partnerships between fintechs and the larger Uh, banks and uh, financial services organizations will really help to you know drive the transformation instead of the fintechs trying to 
get into all banking services themselves. I think the ones that partner with the larger banks and organizations are able to be much more successful. Interesting. I live in a country where the fintechs were kept out of it, unfortunately, much to the behoof of the government. But I, I totally see how that makes so much sense. So you were able to leverage newer technology, younger companies that basically can move more nimbly to help deliver these programs a lot faster. So a wise decision on behalf of those governments, I must say. So basically, these are the lessons that have been learned in the last little while. How do you foresee the development in these institutions to continue or how, to, how will it change in a post-COVID world? Do you feel like they've they, that they're all committed now to a true modernization or is it, or is there a degree of, of falling back on their laurels? No, I think everybody has realized, right? Uh, none of these banks allowed for, you know, uh, uh, remote working at such large scale. I mean, in many cases, it was almost at 0%. And now, you know, 99 to 100% of the workforce is working remotely and delivering great value. So I think that's a trend that's irreversible. It's not going to change. It's not that it will be continue to be 100% remote. I'm sure people will come back to working in offices, but it will never be 100% work from office also. I think similarly, banks have started realizing that they can, just like they have multi-channel or omni-channel capabilities, their workforce can be used in different ways, right? Uh, during times of COVID, a lot of uh, banking centers uh, were not fully utilized, but there were a huge increase in volumes in the contact centers. And uh, many of the banks that had the technology and the enablement to do it started using you know, their employees in the banking centers to take calls of the customers and provide the banking services, right? So they were really able to pivot in a, a much more uh, flexible way. So I think uh, you know, the digital transformation uh, journey that has started is not going to stop in all aspects. Right? So if I take, let's say, consumer banking, all the lending processes, mortgage, client onboarding uh, will get much more digitized. Uh, there will be a lot of modernization in some of the legacy platforms like payments and deposits. And I think the overall experience transformation. So before COVID, digital was more about you know just looking at having a great mobile app or a website. But I think now it's really end to end, right? The transformation of the experience means the transformation of the process itself uh, needs to happen, and more digitization of the process is required, and and that's what will happen. Similarly, on the commercial banking side, right? Again, even if it's an institutional or B two B relationship, the expectations are that the experience is similar to a B two C relationship. And, you know, the discovery of information, the availability of uh, reports, et cetera, is not just very transactional, but it is much more uh, experience-oriented and visually, uh, uh, you know, much better. So I think those are the kind of things that will change on the commercial banking side and different aspects, right? So we've been working with clients in the retirement services industry. Uh, we announced a partnership with uh, Vanguard last year of, you know, completely reimagining the retirement services uh, business and building a new platform. And, you know, uh, we see more of that happening. We work with a lot of regional banks. So the innovation is not just in the large banks, the top Wall Street banks, but whether it's a bank like Old National Bank in Indiana, where we announced a partnership or several other regional banks across the country, they want to also transform themselves uh, more than ever before. And finally, I would say the trend of M&A is mergers and acquisitions has been picking up quite a lot, right? Uh, there were a lot of merger of equals. There were big banks buying smaller banks, there were banks buying fintech companies. And I think that's, again, a trend where a lot of it has been driven primarily by technology. These uh, m have been happening because banks feel that they can 
leverage the best of technology between the organizations coming together and then based on that really rationalize uh, the cost base of the integrated organization and have more value for the customers. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad to hear it. I mean, there's, again, it's one of those things where the genie's out of the bottle. I'm sure there's any number of managers around the world who would rather go back to a bums and seats mentality of workforce. But the reality is, especially when it comes to the basic economics of just not having to pay for office space as much as you used to. It's really hard to argue with the boost to the bottom line that that's going to give you, let alone, you know, every senior manager I know who basically is got his staff working remotely. If anyone hears my children yelling in the background, it's because they came home early. The Any senior manager that I, that I know where they've been measuring workplace productivity has said the exact same thing. Productivity is way up across the board. I'm sure, you know, it sounds like from your converse, from this conversation that you're seeing the same things. And so if your productivity is up, work-life balance might be better due to lack of transit, um, and, like commuting, and overhead costs are lower. That is a wonderful winning combination that a lot of managers just have to get over, quite honestly. Yeah. And, and the investments in, in technology, right? Like firms have realized that by investing in cloud, they are not compromising in security. I mean, you know, cloud is more secure, if not at the same level of security than their existing uh, data centers, right? So that's a mind shift shift that has happened in the last one year and more and more investments are going towards the cloud. And, you know, we have launched our own cobalt suite of offerings, which is helping uh, firms, you know, manage the complexity of cloud, whether they have, you know, you know hybrid cloud, multi-cloud environment. And similarly, you know, making the entire uh, change in culture and workforce, right? Uh, because as uh, firms invest in, you know, new technologies or build uh, technologies of the future, you also need to reskill their own workforce. And we've been doing that ourselves at Infosys, really reskilling our uh, workforce at scale for the new technologies of the future. And a lot of clients or firms we work with in financial services are going through the same journey. So we're helping them reskill the workforce as well. And that's a trend that will also you know, not uh, change or, or, you know, has, uh, will have a long-term uh, uh, transformation. So we've seen a lot of challenge in the most recent couple of months. What do you think the biggest post-pandemic challenges for these institutions are going to be? I think the biggest uh, challenge post-pandemic uh, uh, is going to be how do you sustain this level of uh, innovation, right? Because there has been a change in the uh, pecking order, so to speak. Organizations that were more digitally ready have come out much stronger. And that includes, uh, you know, a company like Infosys. You know, for us, the crisis gave us an opportunity to really bounce back much stronger. And there are many other co companies in financial services that have managed to do that. But some that had not invested enough in the past have really have played the catch-up game. And, and hence, the ones that will be really uh, able to do that quickly will survive or the others will uh, get uh, uh, consolidated, right? So I think that's one. I think the second is that, you know, uh, as more and more digital technologies are implemented, there is always a risk of uh, security, right? The cybersecurity. And uh, uh, companies will need to find the right ways to mitigate that because the cyber criminals are getting much more smarter, a lot more data customers are sharing uh, with banks. There's a lot more data on the cloud and so on. So, you know, making uh, uh, the right investments and uh, having the right risk management strategies uh, from a cybersecurity perspective uh, will be extremely critical. And third is, you know, uh, a completely new world order is emerging, right? With 
And it's not just the customers, but also the employees. A lot of the workforce is millennial. Their expectations of what experience they get within the company is also different. And we see right in certain activities like contact centers in the banking world, the volume of calls is going up. But the expectation of a contact center agent in terms of what kind of systems they work with, how they respond to some of the higher increase in volumes is very different. So. Uh, companies will have to invest significantly in, you know, reskilling the workforce, but also providing them an, an employee experience that matches the experience that they are used to in their general lifestyle to retain that workforce. So I think uh, those would be, you know, some of the key challenges, right? To sustain the pace of innovation, to manage uh, cybersecurity-related threats and risks, and to really motivate the new workforce to continue to work for a large bank versus a tech company or a fintech and deliver, you know, the, the same kind of uh, productivity. So before we wrap up, Dennis, there's three questions I'd like to ask everybody to get you thinking. The first one is, if you had one wish for something to change in your company or the industry as a whole, what would it be? I think, uh, you know, really continuing to be able to innovate and scale, right? Making that a part of the DNA that everybody wakes up every day and comes there to see how you can do things more innovatively. And that's something which we already do, but something which, you know, I feel that uh, across the industry uh, should be uh, done uh, in a much more. Normally, people are stumped by that question. You have one ready. Well done. Second question I have for you, I'm going to modify it a little bit because the normal question is, what's been the biggest challenge in scaling the business to where it is today? Now, that is normally a question I ask of startups, smaller companies, whatnot. I'm going to rephrase that. In your mind, what has been the biggest challenge you've seen facing the clients you've had, you, you've been dealing with? Not specifically around COVID, but just in terms of their own digital transformation. What's the biggest roadblock that they encounter? I think the biggest roadblock is the cultural change, right? There is the mandate at the board level, at the CXO level, and there is a push from the market, from the clients to drive the change. But there is a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of constraints internally to enable that change, right? And I'll use this analogy, which actually was given to me by the, you know, the chairman of uh, uh, Marcus uh, Digital Bank uh, at Goldman Sachs, that it's like the rest of the organization works like an opera, while when you're driving digital transformation, you need to work like flash mob. So how do you have both of that operating in the same organization? Yes, you, you have to have the, the risk management, uh, the controls, and things that need to be done to make sure that the organization is functioning as per the policies and procedures and so on. But you also need to encourage innovation, new ideas, an agile way of working. So how do you really combine both these different cultures. One is a fast lane, the other is the traditional lane, both need to coexist. And enabling that change in culture so that the entire organization matures and then drives towards a digital transformation agenda, I would say that's the important point to look at. So before we go to the third question, I got a follow-up to that. I'm wondering how much of the sub, you know, we'll call the suboptimal outcomes or the resistance or some of it, do you think is maybe linked to a lack of, we'll call it technological illiteracy? So the understanding of certain people in certain positions as to 
how problems can be solved without having to do something completely different. So for example, um, I had this case recently where firm was looking at two different solutions uh, that were had like a 90% overlap because some of the functionality when one was not in the other. And I took one look at the situation and said, okay, well, what's the functionality? It's like, okay, that. So those records are captured by system A. Why wouldn't you just tap into the API and put that into Salesforce for reporting or a spreadsheet? And you know, no one had contemplated that, right? So I look at that and I, I keep on encountering this, I'd say at certain levels of management where the lack of true understanding of how these things can collaborate with each other has often been a roadblock. Do you encounter that at the levels you're dealing with or is everybody just at that level on their game to such a degree that it's not a problem? No, I think definitely right? there needs to be a significant amount of uh, reskilling of people. Right? There are people who have a lot of business knowledge but lack the technology expertise. And on the other hand, there are technologies, uh, technologists who think that uh, you know everything can be solved uh, by writing the next uh, big uh, you know uh, automation script or the AI algorithm. But they both need to come together. And hence, you know, reskilling of the workforce or the right skilling of the workforce, if I may is an important uh, you know, factor to balance uh, the understanding of the business in the domain with the understanding of technology. And also, you know, the technology changes are happening at a very rapid pace, right? So you need to refresh it on an ongoing basis to make sure that you're applying the right solution to the right problem. We've used you know, techniques like design thinking to really bring business, technology, legal, risk, and compliance teams all together to think of it right from the point of view of the customer. What is the problem that the customer is facing and how all the teams can really pull together to find the right solution uh, to the problem of the end customer. And last question for you is what excites you the most about what it is you do and gets you up in the morning every day to keep doing what it is you're doing? I think, you know, the impact that you can create, right? Uh, given the scale at which we operate, the work that we do really impacts our clients and their end clients. And as we went through the PPP program, yes, we did some very cool technology things, but, you know, it really helped our clients, the banks process a lot of loans, but eventually it helped the small businesses survive in the pandemic, right? Or if we are providing, let's say, mortgage origination or mortgage support services, it's actually helping the end client buy a home or refinance and home and have a great lifestyle. So I think that is what is really exciting, that the platform that we have and the technology that we uh, use uh, really helps our clients be successful and that helps their end clients you know, manage uh, their financial lives better. That is what keeps me going. Yeah, at the end of the day, sometimes it's easy to lose sight of the fact that all of this stuff is financial services and it's in service of something else, something greater, something bigger. So thank you for that. I appreciate that. And I appreciate the view behind the uh, curtain of what it's like to deal with the uh, <laughs> triaging large companies during a time of absolute panic. Uh, it's uh, It was insightful. Yeah, I mean, you know, there were times last year where we were on calls uh, all through the night uh, trying to solve PPP challenges. But it was like, you know, the business head of lending, the chief information officer, me and many others, uh, you know, in, in some of the banking organizations, all really coming together. Let's get this done. Right? How can we have a few thousand loan applications pending if we solve this and automate it? Otherwise, it will take us 20 days to do it. But if we automate it, it can be done within hours. So let's find a solution. And we actually did in most cases. I think that was truly amazing, right? That getting all this done, working remotely in my role. Otherwise, you know, I travel three to four days a week. I probably traveled four days in the last one year. But much more has been accomplished by really working uh, closely together with 
not just the technologists, but also a lot of uh, leaders from the business working towards the outcome for their end clients. Fantastic. Dennis, thank you very much for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you, Jason. It was great talking to you. So that was my interview with Dennis Gata of Infosys. I hope you enjoyed that. And a few times have I spoken to people dealing with the level of scale that these people are. So there's a lot of insight to be had from uh, playing at that level. And I'm glad uh, Dennis was able to share it with us. So as always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or whatever it is that your podcast. Until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca.